Shalom, my friends, and welcome to season four of our series. So uh, today, today is uh, going to be an exciting, an exciting class. And my friends, prepare to have all your cerebral nerve endings tingling from an amazing, an amazing journey into the Ark of Noah as it presents themselves in our personal lives. So let's start. The title is, Where is Your Ark? Subtitle, Rising Above the Struggles of Life. So here is a fact of life. Whether we accept it or live in denial of it, it is a fact of life. All human beings experience struggles in life. From the rich, famous, and powerful to the poor, unknown, and downtrodden. Struggles, one may say, is the purpose of life. Why? Why would struggles be the purpose of life? And the answer is because our souls descended into this world to reach unprecedented heights. And unprecedented heights can only be reached when we are pushed out of our comfort zone. In other words, the soul achieves its goal only when we transform our struggles into opportunities and then successfully work these opportunities. If that be the case, then the only way our souls reach their goal and destiny is through struggles, which is why I said one may say that struggles is the purpose of life. This is actually what the story of Noah and the flood is all about. The flood reigns for 40 days and 40 nights. Waters prevailed upon the entire earth for 150 days, after which the waters begin to subside, leaving Noah in the ark for a total of 12 months before he was able to leave the ark. Exactly 12 months and 10 days, to be, to be precise, is how long from when Noah went in on the 17th day of Cheshvan, until a year later he left on the 27th day of Cheshvan. Now, the floodwaters, according to the teachings in Kabbalah, represents to us our struggles in life, specifically the struggles of earning a living, which have the potential of numbing and drowning our spirituality. Simply speaking, after six days of working and Shabbos of worrying, we really don't easily have a day of spirituality a day of inner focus. And thus King Solomon says, and I quote to you a verse from his book of songs, many waters cannot quench the love, nor can rivers flood it. What he's saying is that even though there is the potential, there is the potential here of our spirituality being numbed by the difficult struggles that we have in order to earn a living, Nevertheless, King Solomon says that our soul's love, its thirst, is so powerful that even the raging waters cannot quench it. Not only it cannot quench it, but actually the struggles of life actually help us get higher into our yearning and love and spirituality. How do we see this? Well, let's look at the verse in the floods, concerning the ark and the flood. The verse says, and I read to you from this week's Torah portion, now the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and they lifted the ark and it rose off the earth and the waters became powerful and they increased very much upon the earth and the ark moved upon the waters. Thus what we're seeing here is a very interesting teaching that the raging waters not only didn't drown the ark, 
not only it didn't drown the Noah within us, it actually lifted it up. And if you want to know the exact measurements, it lifted it up to 15 cubits. That's about a biblical measurement of about 18 inches a cubit. So 15 cubits above the highest mountains on earth. That's how high the waters lifted Noah and his ark. So what we're, hear, what we're hearing here is that the only way to survive the struggles of life, the floods of life, is A, to build an airtight ark with all its biblical specifications, and then B, entering into the ark. And that's how we transform our struggles into opportunities that rise, rise us, raise us higher and deeper into our soul. So just that you know, this lecture is here to teach us on how to build our personal arcs, how to enter our personal arcs, and how to transform our struggles into opportunities. This lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, which he delivered on this Shabbat in 1977. And in it, he explores the deeper dimensions of the ark and how it presents itself in our personal and individual lives. So thus, we now see the goal of this lecture, this class, is to go into the deepest mystical teachings of the ark and specifically there to find how the story of Noah is not a historical story, but a personal individual story which you and I deal with every single day of our lives. So let's see how that works. But first, a couple of introductions. Number one, it is important to know that there are a lot of historical events throughout the history of the world which are not documented in the Torah. Uh, for example, many people don't know that prior to Noah and the flood, the Talmud tell the the Medrash, the sages tell us that this Pacific, the Pacific Ocean actually flooded one third of the world in the generation of Enosh when Enosh began the theme of idol worship. And that isn't told in this Torah story. So the reason for that is because the stories that are told in the Torah are not told as stories of old. Rather, every story in the Torah is told to us because they exist within us in the, our generation, 21st century, in Miami or wherever you may be right now um, listening to this lecture. So that's why the Torah specifically handpicks which stories happened, which were not just individual events, but which will become thematic events in each and every one of our lives. Especially so when the Torah gets so detailed. Do you know that the Torah verse by verse lays out for us the exact dimensions of the ark? Why would it tell us that? It's because all these details are very important to us in our individual, personal, modern-day lives. So, you have the story of Noah building an ark to the specifications of three floors. Top floor was Noah and his family. Second floor was the animals. Third floor was where the waste and also the storage of the food was. And it then tells us the dimensions was 300 cubits. Again, a cubit is 18 inches about. 300 cubits the length, 50 cubits the width, 30 cubits the height, and it gets specific, with the roof slanting to a point of, and I quote you the verse, and to a cubit shall it finish it on at to the top. So all these specific dimensions 
Why 300? Why 50? Why 30? Why a pointed roof to one ama cubit? All of this is going to <clears throat> teach us how to live our lives and survive, and not only survive, but to grow from each and every one of our struggles. Another interesting fact, as I told you, was that Noah spent 12 months in the ark. How does that pertain to us in our modern-day individual lives? Okay, let's go to another introduction. Another introduction for this lecture, in order to understand how all this applies to us practically and personally, is to understand that Noah was the correction of the sin of Adam. Now, everyone, when we talk about the sin of Adam, we talk about the fact that he ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and that was a sin. According to Kabbalah, there was a, a sin that Adam cohabitated with his wife the day, Friday day, when he was created and she was created, rather than waiting for Friday night, which would have taken him into the divinity and spirituality of Shabbat. Not only that, here's a uh, breaking news. Cain and Abel were both born immediately after the cohabitation. Adam and Eve cohabitated and Cain was born. Adam and Eve cohabitated a second time on Friday day while they were in the Garden of Eden and Abel was born. There was no gestation period. And that is connected mystically with the fact that they cohabitated in the Garden of Eden on the daytime that they were born rather than waiting for Shabbat. Now we're going to understand how Noah is the correction of this specific sin of Adam. Number one, the word Noah is actually connected to Shabbos. When you look at the verse in the Ten Commandments, which tells us about the commandment of Shabbat, the verse says, and he, God, rested on the seventh day. The word is from the same root as the word Noach. This is, this is the connection between Noach and Shabbat, which Adam and Eve should have waited for in order to cohabitate. Additionally, being that Cain and Abel had no gestation period, this is why Noah had to be in a full 12-month gestation period within the ark. Now, none of this makes sense <clears throat> yet, but that's what we're going to do right now. Make it all make sense. So to understand this, we're first going to have to go to an even more mystical concept. The floodwaters of Noah is actually connected with the river that flowed from the Garden of Eden in the story of Genesis. And let me read to you the verse in the first Torah portion of Genesis. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the, to water the garden, and from there it separated and became four heads into four different rivers. This was the initial form of creation. And then what happened? Now, reading you another verse, the Lord God took the man, meaning Adam, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. What kind of work and guarding was there to be in the perfect, the perfect self-sustaining um, dimension of the Garden of Eden? So our sages tell us, what does this mean? It means that he should work it with the 248 precepts of the Torah, and he should guard it with the 365 prohibitions of the Torah. And through that, Adam would bring, the human being would bring unprecedented heights of spirituality and delight for God. 
This is what Noah accomplished with building the ark and entering into it for 12 months. Allow me to explain. According to Kabbalah, the process of creation is all a process of contraction, contraction. To create the world, God didn't have to get bigger. He actually had to make his infinite light smaller. And thus, this is what the hidden secret of that verse of the river leaving, coming forth from Eden is all about. Let's see. It says as follows. The river, river is one flow. It's a contracted ray. Went forth, it left. Eden, representing the supernal crown and the infinite wisdom of God. And then from there separated itself, which means it became for it became it became separated from the unity into four heads. Why four? Because those of you who study Kabbalah and Hasidus will know that there are the four worlds of concealment, known as Atzilut, closeness, Bria, creation, Yetzirah, formation, and Asiya, action. Thus, what we're actually learning is that the entire process of creation is about contracting, concealing, and separating a finite ray from the infinite light. And this is how creation evolves into a finite universe. And the further and more contracted and more concealed the light becomes, the coarser and more egocentric the identity of creation became until we have human beings who are quite egocentric, all focused on self-centered life and living, and they are even to the point of rebellious to being submissive to the oneness of God. This is only possible through all those contractions that only a river went forth from Eden and then separated into four heads. All of that is more and more and more contraction, separation, concealment. Now, that is how God created the world, making from infinite nothingness into finite somethingness. Our job is to do quite the opposite, to allow from the finite somethingness to expand and house and clothe the infinite nothingness, so to speak, of God. So thus the purpose of mankind through Torah and mitzvot is to work and guard the universe, drawing down not only the full expression of infinite light, not only the essence of the infinite light, but even the source of the infinite light, which is the essence of God himself into the universe. Now we understand that Noah was the one who did this, so we now understand why the Zohar refers to the flood waters as the waters may Noah. The waters of Noah, which I already shared with you, Noah represents the delight and the rest of Shabbat. Because Noah was the correction of Adam's sins, meaning that the waters of Shabbat, which is the ultimate delight of God, and not just Shabbat as God originally made the Shabbat, the contraction, but as the Shabbat that mankind has worked and guarded, bringing unprecedented delight of God into it. Now we understand that there's two dimensions of Shabbat. There's the Shabbat that comes through contraction, the seventh day of creation, and then there's the Shabbat which man makes through his doing Kiddush and through his bringing in the spirituality in unprecedented heights. 
So because there's two dimensions of Shabbat, let me share with you one more mystical secret about this Torah portion. The Torah portion begins with the double pronunciation of Noah's name, which doesn't make sense. The verse says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. It could have just said, these are the generations of Noah, the righteous man. It says twice Noah, representing two dimensions of Shabbat, which we will soon, which we will soon explain. And now... We need with all this to understand the next and final introduction, which is the Kabbalah of the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Remember the dimensions, 300 length, 50 width, 30 height, coming to a point of one Amma. And again, Amma is a cubit, which in our inches, it comes out to 18 inches, about. Okay. Well, in order to understand the measurements of the Ark, we need yet another mystical introduction. And I hope that the word mystical doesn't scare you away. I hope by now you realize that my job is to demystify the mystical and make it practical. So let's understand this. The world was created in seven days, which leads us to a question. Remember I told you that in order to have creation, it was all about transforming from the infinite light to a finite ray? Well, let's go ahead and understand what this is all about. Because the way the formless light, the formless infinite light, turns into an image and likeness in which we were created. Adam, man, was made in the image and likeness of God, but there is no image and likeness. Rather, the image and likeness refers to the transformer from the infinite light to the finite ray. What is that transformer? It's what you know as the ten emanations. In Hebrew, the ten sefirot emanations, specific, finite emanations of light. Now, if that be the case, that creation came about through the 10 emanations, and each day of, of creation represents an emanation, why do we have a seven-day week of creation and not a 10-day week of creation? A, each day being of a, full, of a full emanation would make 10 days. Now, the answer is because the world, in order to be finite and logical as we know it, it only embraced in its creation and in its nature force the seven emotion emanations. So the ten emanations break into two categories, the three mighty infinite intellects and the seven weaker finite emotions. Now, the world was created only from the seven emotions. For example, on the first day of creation, which is kindness, there was light, revelation, warmth, giving. On the second day, which is strictness, strength, justice, there was the definition of the boundaries and separations of the waters. Until, keep on following through the Torah, Genesis, you'll see, until we get to Shabbat, Shabbat is the emanation of kingship, which is the day of royalty and rest. Now, the normal nature, as we just said, is when the divinity of the seven weaker, lower emotion emanations shine into the universe. What happens when there is light from the three mighty infinite intellects emanation, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, that flows into the universe? That, my dear friends, is what the higher dimension of Shabbat and holidays are all about. That is why on those days we're not allowed to work. On those days we're supposed to spend our day in Torah study and prayer and spirituality with our family. 
because there's greater divinity, thus we should not be doing mundane work. That is what happens when the intellects, the mighty emanations, the infinite emanations shine into the world. Only that today in our present day Shabbat, there's only, and holidays, there's only the external level of the mighty intellects. When Mashiach comes, there will be the inner essence of the higher, mighty, infinite intellect shining into the world, which will affect us physically to the extent, as you know, in the verse of Isaiah, and I read it to you, and a wolf shall live with a lamb, and the leopard shall lie with a kid, and a calf and a lion cub and a fatling shall lie together, and a small child shall lead them. What will so domesticate and bring to calmness all these wild predators is because the world will physically change as the inner infinite dimensions of divinity, unity, love, and peace of the three intellects emanation will shine into the world. Now here's a kicker. Unbelievably so, that presence of the infinite divinity actually existed in the Ark of Noah which will answer a question that begs to be asked. How did all those animals, predator, non-predator, pray? How did they all live in peace in such tight quarters within the ark? And the answer is the reason they had that peace because already the light and divinity that will be in the times of Mashiach's revelation that brings such deep peace, unity, calmness, and love existed within the Ark of Noah. That is the secret of the Ark of Noah and the flood that rose up and raised the Ark up to these unprecedented heights. Now let's talk about how this, which I've just shared with you, fits into the specific dimensions of the Ark according to Kabbalah and Hasidut. There was three floors, the three intellects, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Each of these floors were 10 cubits high because in the world of unity, each one of the emanations is compiled of all 10. So you have wisdom of wisdom, wisdom of understanding, wisdom of and each one of these, I mean, I'm sorry, understanding of wisdom, knowledge of wisdom, and love of wisdom. And all of, each one of these is made up of 10. That's why each one of these stories, each one of the floors of the ark was each 10 amas. So now you have 30, three compiled of 10. That's the way it is in the world of unity. Even greater than that, you have 50 widths. The 50 cubits of the width represents the full-blown glory of the 50 gateways of understanding. And then you have the 300 length. When an emanation exists in the infinite supernal crown in its absolute fullest brilliance, it is made up of 100 rather than 10. Thus what we see is that the arc is all about the revelation of the supreme divinity, love, peace, and unity of the three emanations, which creates a physical change of peace even between predator and prey. Now, we're not over yet. There's one more dimension. So we spoke about the 300 length, the 50 width, the 30 height. But then there's the roof, which the verse tells us came to one ama one cubit. Now I want to share with you one more mystical teaching over here about that. The Hebrew word for cubit is ama. 
The word Amma is spelled out of Aleph Mem Hey. It stands for an acronym of the three words Elokeinu Melech Ha'olam. You probably know those words from every blessing you make. Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Ha'olam, which means our God, King of the Universe. So the point of building the ark and drawing all that powerful in the emanations, the inner, the internal, infinite light of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to bring unity and peace is all to that the entire world should all be a testimony and connected with that one armor of unity that everything is nothing more than an expression of Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, our God, King of the Universe. This is what it's all about. Thus, we now understand that the process of Noah and the ark is the exact opposite of the process of the river that flowed from the Garden of Eden. The river that flowed from the Garden of Eden was all about transforming the infinite nothingness, so to speak, of divinity into a finite, separated, egocentric being. Now, the job of Noah was to take that egocentric world of rebellion and perversity and to bring it up to three intellect emotions in their fullest 30, three times 10, in their fullest 50 gateways of understanding, in their fullest 300, the dimensions of the three intellects and the infinite supernal crown, bringing it up to its pinnacle that the entire world should not be a finite egocentric identity of separation, but rather to the one Amma coming up to that point in the roof where the entire world screams and testifies and becomes connected to that one cubit of Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, our God, King of the universe. And even then, it's not enough. Noah has to then remain incubated in the gestation period within that ark for 12 months before he can come out to a whole new world. Now the question is, why? Why do we first have to have the contraction of the river flowing out of Eden, separating into four concealed heads, before we can then have Noah build it back up from somethingness egocentric into infinite humility of nothingness? And why once there at the tip of the roof of the one ama of the ark, does no one need to remain in gestation of 12 months? And now let's start the lecture. We're going to move fast because the bigger part was the introductions. So first let's talk about what I mentioned to you that the verse says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Rather than just saying Noah once, these were the generations of Noah, a righteous man. And that we, I shared with you is the mystical secret of two dimensions of Shabbat. Then let's talk about the teaching that says, were we to be able to, were we to actually heed the Shabbat, kehil chatan, according to its laws, if we would just keep two Shabbatot, our sages tell us, according to kehil chatot, then Mashiach would come and the world would reach redemption. Then let's talk about what does it mean, the penetration of the details, and then finally, let's talk about the secret of the flood and the dam. And now, let the amazement of Hasidus begins. Let's move along.
We mentioned in the introduction that there were two Shabbatot. Generally speaking, we refer to these two dimensions of Shabbat as the Friday night dimension and the Shabbat day dimension. Thus, that you, just that you should know, the Shabbat dimension itself separates into two, Shabbat morning and Shabbat afternoon. And Shabbat afternoon is called Ra'avin, the Kol Ra'avin, the secret of all secrets. Now let's talk about this. The dimension of Shabbat rest of Friday night is the rest of the six days of the week, of, of the six work days of the week. Thus, by the time we get to Friday night after the six work days, we are depleted, exhausted, and in need of rest and rejuvenation. Now, what does this mean? Let's talk about it mystically. I shared with you that Shabbat represents rest and pleasure. Now allow me to share with you, please, that the core essence of every human being, the core essence of our soul, is not our emotions, is not our intellects, it's not even our power of will, it is the power of pleasure. Pleasure is what drives the human being. Pleasure manifests itself and drives our power of will, which then drives our powers of our faculties, of our intellects and emotions, our thoughts, speech, and action, in how to actually get it, how to fulfill that which we want to cause us pleasure. Now, what happens is that it all begins within the core that drives for pleasure. However, when we're actually in the six days of work pursuing pleasure, our pleasure actually is hidden. And what we're really experiencing is the power of will, the power of intellect, the power of emotions. Primarily, what we're really busy with all week is the revelation of our thoughts, speech, and actions. That's what we're busy with. Thus, we're being so pulled away from our source of energy, which is our soul's power of pleasure, that by the time we get to Friday night, we are depleted and exhausted. We need to rest. And what rest means Kabbalistically, it's where the faculties of the soul return back to the core of the soul, nursing, being rejuvenated from the power of pleasure. Thus, Friday night is where we return all our, all our faculties that was expressing itself outwards to make a living, and now it comes back into the day of rest where we can just be peacefully ourselves with pleasure. Now, because that pleasure is connected with the I want that to cause me pleasure, thus, in a deeper level, what we actually have here is the pleasure is not what we call essence pleasure, but what we call tainug murkav. What that means is comprised pleasure, a pleasure which receives its pleasure from an external cause. Shabbat morning is essence pleasure. By Shabbat morning, we're already rejuvenated. Our faculties, everything is at peace. What we're dealing with Shabbat morning is to experience not the pleasure of doingness, but the pleasure of beingness. That is what we call true Shabbat pleasure. The pleasure I have from what I eat, the pleasure I have from what I hear, the pleasure I have from what I smell, the pleasure I have from what I accomplish, is not essence pleasure. It's a pleasure driven and dependent upon external factors. The human soul does not need external factors in order to experience pleasure. What it truly needs is the capacity to experience self. When the soul experiences its own beingness, that it is truly a piece of God above, it is experiencing its own true essence pleasure.
Thus, Shabbat morning is essence pleasure, while the Friday night is comprised pleasure, driven by external factors. Now we understand why it says about Shabbat, Friday night, it says, he who worked uh, before Shabbat shall eat on Shabbat. Eat represents pleasure. If you don't work on all week, you don't reach the level of pleasure on Shabbat because the Friday night Shabbat is the rejuvenation and replenishing of the faculties that went to work all week, connecting it again with its pleasure. However, the Shabbat morning pleasure is an essence pleasure of beingness. Now I want to share with you that it seems that reaching the second Shabbat, experiencing the pleasure of self, the pleasure of beingness, not dependent upon any external factors, is the ultimate goal of Shabbat. But it's not. That's why we have to go from Shabbat morning to Shabbat afternoon. And the teaching is very simple. See, what happens is that we refer to the Friday night pleasure as linear. The reason we refer to it as linear is because it needs to connect to our faculties, our finite faculties. The Shabbat morning pleasure is the infinite circular. Now, however, there's a problem here. The infinite circular can become, in a sense, it can become impotent and useless because the infinite circular is actually finitely stuck within being infinite. It doesn't know how to express itself in finite expressions, thoughts, speech, and actions. Thus, I just want to share with you that that would be like being so in love with someone to the point of paralysis. What good is love if I have to tell you I love you, but I can't do anything for you? What good is pleasure if I cannot use it in my daily life? Thus, in a sense, the infinite circular that is stuck within being infinite and circular and cannot be connected itself to finite and linear is like having a million dollars locked in a safe without having the number to open it and to be able to use the million dollars. Thus, the true definition of infinite is not the infinite that's stuck within being infinite, but the infinite that knows how to express itself with being finite. It's not the love that you have for someone that leads you to paralysis. It's the love that leads you to be able to do finite acts for the other person, the person that you love. That is the power of Shabbat afternoon. It is the true infinite circular that knows how to then express itself in all our faculties, all our intellects, all our emotions, all our thoughts, speech, and action. Now the question is, how does one reach Shabbat afternoon? And thus, we're now going to understand that to reach the Shabbat afternoon, the ultimate experience of beingness that knows how to express itself in our doingness can only be reached through the power of the flood. But I jump ahead of myself. Let's go to another, another um, concept. I mentioned to you that our sages tell us that were the Jewish people to keep Shabbat kehil chatan, just two Shabbatot. That's all we need, two Shabbatot. Actually, I'll share with you another secret. One Shabbat we already did because the Ten Commandments were given to us on Shabbat, 
and we all as a people kept that Shabbat. All we need to do is keep one more Shabbat the way it's meant to be. Every Jew and Mashiach will come. Now, I want to share with you the mystical teaching. The word for kehil chatan in English simply means halacha, law. However, our sages connect in their teachings the word halacha, law, with halicha, travel. And thus, we're actually going to say that when we talk about keeping the Shabbat, two Shabbatot, kehil chatan, we're not talking, mystically, mystically speaking, we're not just talking about two different Shabbatot, we're talking about keeping one Shabbat with both pathways. The pathway from above to below and from below to above. Now I want to just share with you what that means from above to, above to below and below to above. They're the two dimensions of Shabbat. And what it means is that just a simple ex explanation. When you're studying Torah, what are you doing? The word of God from above is descending to below into your mind, from above to below. When you're praying to God, what are you doing? You're taking your words from below and speaking them to God above, from below to above. The same thing, when you do a mitzvah and you take a physical object and you elevate it into being a mitzvah holy object. For example, you take parchment, you take ink, and you turn it into a mezuzah, into a tefillin, into a sefer Torah. They become physically holy. What that means is that we have elevated from below to above the physical into becoming a an enclosement of the spiritual. When we draw spirituality down in our soul and into the universe, that's from above to below. When we elevate physical objects into spiritual objects, we're now talking about from below to above. There's two different journeys, and both of these journeys are important. Thus, when we keep Shabbat both as the journeys and both from above to below and below to above, and then we keep the Shabbat as the rest, the rest of traveling, just the beingness, we're fulfilling the dimensions of Shabbat. Thus, we now understand what it means by keeping two Shabbatot, knowing that the Shabbat has to both be Friday night from below to above, let go of the work, let go of the worry, let go of the struggles from below to above, and then from above to below, drawing down the deepest and highest levels of our soul's pleasure of beingness, divinity, unity with God. Now I want to share with you the next concept. Why did Noah have to stay 12 months in the ark? Why the need for gestation? Well, now we can understand, being that we have to have both journeys, not just from above, from below to above, but from above to below, we can now understand what the gestation period, the 12-month gestation period of Noah in the ark is. Here, let me share with you something, okay? Remember, part of Adam's sin was that because he didn't wait for Friday night to be in the Shabbat to cohabitate with his wife Eve, therefore Cain and Abel had no gestations period. They were born immediately after the cohabitation, and therefore Noah was going to correct that by spending 12 months of gestation within the ark. Let's talk about this. But here is an interesting fact. 
Moses was born after seven months of gestation. Elijah the prophet was born after 12 months of gestation, the largest period of time documented for human gestation. Now, here is another interesting fact, and I share with you now that both facts are connected. Moses' body was buried here on earth, specifically in Mount Nevo. Elijah's body wasn't buried here on earth. It went up to heaven together with his soul on the chariot of fire. Now, what is the connection between the gestation period and the fact that Moses' body had to remain here below while Elijah's body was able to go up? Now, the point, the mystical point of gestation is the way the soul completely connects and closes itself within the body. Now, the difference is that when you only have a seventh-month gestation period, mystically speaking, you're a soul man, meaning that your life's work is going to be not connected with the physical, but it's going to be spiritual, and you're going to be, in a sense, denying the physical needs. You're just going to be focusing on the spiritual. That's what Moses did. When you have a 12-month gestation period as Elijah, it means that your life's journey is not going to be just about spiritual ascent. It's also going to be about spiritual descent into the body, refining the physical body, transforming the physical body until it becomes an absolute transparent oneness of a vessel together with the soul. Thus, Moses' body, which did not go through that journey, had to be buried here below and couldn't go up to heaven. Elijah's body, which went through the full journey, the 12-month gestation, and then the living the life of every spirituality affecting itself in the refinement of the physical body until the physical body becomes absolutely lucid, transparent, and one with the soul, Elijah's body went with the soul up to heaven. Now that we understand the secret of gestation and that the longer the gestation, the fullest gestation of 12 months is the absolute absorption of the spiritual into the physical, we now understand what is going on with Noah. Noah's job was not only from below to above reaching that one ama pinnacle of the ark of unity and oneness and spirituality of alakenu melecha olam, ama, that means one our God, King of the universe, rather after that he had to spend then 12 months of gestation of bringing what he reached down into all his particular details of thought, speech, and action. It wasn't enough for Noah just to ascend spiritually. The job of Noah's ascending spiritual was to be specifically then take his spirituality and bring it down into each and every one of even his mundane thoughts, speech, and actions. Thus, we now understand what happened here. First, Noah, coming from an egocentric generation of perversion that was going to be obliterated by God, his job was to take the seven, the, the world of the seven lower, weaker emanations, emotions, and to bring it up into the more greater, mightier spirituality of the three infinite intellect emanations, which is why the ark had three floors. 50 width cubits, the gateways of understanding, 300 length, which is the fullest glory and brilliance 
of the three intellects, each a hundred in the world of the supernal crown, and then to have it build up even higher to the oneness of unity of one Amma point, everything is now screaming, connect, testifying, and connected with the our God, King of the universe. Then when he reaches that pinnacle of spirituality, ascent, he now has to make sure that within 12 months of gestations, he doesn't separate his spiritual from his physical, but brings down the spirituality into all his physical life. That is what all the story of Noah is, and not only the Noah that lived some 5,000 years ago, but the Noah that lives within each and every one of us that daily has to face the raging floodwaters of earning a living and temptation. We'll get to that in a moment. However, we need one more understanding. You remember we spoke about Shabbat morning is paralyzed, impotent, because it's the infinite that cannot express itself in the finite. It's the paralysis of I love you, so I can't do anything for you because I'm in paralysis of the great mighty love. I'm just stuck there looking at you Google-eyed, not being able to help you do anything. Thus, we need to get into the Shabbat afternoon, into the infinite that can help me express my infinite love within my finite thought, speech, and action. How are we going to reach there? And the answer is, and obviously the question is, how can my experience of my soul is not infinite? We really, we only live with the finite expression of our soul in a finite world doing finite things. How can we ever use our finite doingness to connect with our infinite beingness? Now, to understand this, I want to talk about the verse that I mentioned before. Remember I told you that life's goal is the struggles because struggles push us out of our comfort zone. Remember I quoted to you the verse and I'll quote it to you again. Now the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and they lifted the ark and it rose off the earth and the waters became powerful and they increased very much upon the earth, the earth and the ark moved upon the waters. Remember I shared with you that the waters were 15 cubits higher than the tallest mountain. And the ark was floating on top of that water. Thus the water took the ark from the depths of the valleys of perversion and egocentrism up to the highest levels, even higher than the tallest mountain, even higher than the waters itself. Thus the way we reach to the ultimate infinite part of ourselves which breaks through the paralysis of the infinite and allows our infinite beingness to flow into every one of our finite doingnesses. I love you so much and it expresses itself in what I do for you, the finite actions that I do for you, that happens only through the struggles that, I get, that we go through in life, those raging waters which lift the ark. And thus I want to share with you a metaphor in Hasidus. Hasidus talks about the metaphor of the river's current. The river's current is mighty. And then it hits a dam, and it can't go. And what happens when it can't go? What happens is the current is building. The current is building. It's because it's stopped by a dam and it cannot keep on flowing, it's going to build. It's going to build. It's going to build until that point 
where it can burst. It reaches such a strength of current energy that it bursts through the, the dam. Not only that, but according to physics, the actual shattered pieces of the dam that are now flowing with the water actually push the water even more than its own built up of current and strength. Thus, the teachings tell us that our soul has a natural current of yearning and loving for God. The animalistic soul and its egocentric paradigm is a dam that stops the soul from letting its love flow into everything we think, everything we say, everything we feel, everything we do. And thus, that soul's current of yearning and loving for God is building, it's building, it's building because it's stuck. And it's building until it bursts through the dam of the, of the egocentric, arrogant, animalistic soul. And now it's flowing in such greater energy that it's not just the love of paralysis, it's the love that's even mightier than the love of paralysis and thus can express itself infinitely in every finite thought, speech, and action that we have. This is the story of Noah and the ark within each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, we need to use that dam, that numbness that stops us from feeling our spirituality and causes our spirituality to build and to build and to build until we break through and we scream, enough of this rat race. A rat race, even if you win, you're still a rat. So who even wants to be in the rat race, even if you're going to win the rat race? We're not meant to be rats. And thus what happens is we burst out of it and we yearn to find spirituality in everything mundane that we do. That is the gift of the struggling, raging waters lifting the ark higher and higher and higher above the tallest mountain to unprecedented, functional, infinite, yearning, love, spirituality for God. Now, in closing. In closing, you see, when I talk about the raging waters being the struggles, those, those never-ending struggles of making a living and paying our bills and, and not only keeping our status but growing our status, we, we also understand that we have a very practical implication of what raging floodwaters are. And we know that each and every one of us stand the, 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 the danger of being drowned in the physical mundane rat race of staying alive, keeping a roof upon our heads and the heads of our families, our children, and so forth and so on. But what is the practical implication of an ark? We spoke about building an ark and the intellects and wow, wow. Oh, what practical? What does that practically mean? How are you and I supposed to build an ark, enter the ark, and allow the ark to rise up above the struggling waters? So here's my last mystical secret for this lecture. The word for ark is not the word used for a ship or a boat. The Torah's word is teva. Teva actually, if you want to know, means a box. But it uses the word teva. Now, in the holy tongue, Hebrew, the word teva also means a word, W-O-R-D, a word. Now, what the Baal Shem Tov tells us is that the teva the way it refers to the Noah within me and the Noah within you is the words of Torah and the words of prayer. Now, the secret of a teva, of any boat, not sinking, is that it needs to be airtight. 
There can't be no holes in it. What this means is that we have to enter into airtight words of Torah study and so too with prayers. Now it's very hard to do that because we're sitting down and our mind is racing with a billion meetings that we have to prepare and had to do and understanding we had a bad day at work, a good day at work, we're worried, will it go through, won't it go through. There's so many things racing through our head that our teva is punctured with holes. Thus our job is that when we come home from a day of work, don't allow a single day to go by before you just take some quiet alone time between you and God in your personal teva. Just learn one thing on the Torah portion, but make sure that your head is fully focused. Now the truth is that all these worries and anxieties can do one or two things. I can succumb to them, and really I'm studying with, with maybe a tenth of my brain, praying with a tenth of my brain because I'm so filled with worry. Or I can actually use these worries and anxieties that threaten to distract me to be the propeller engines into making me, no, 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 I, you know what, stop this. i got to focus on what I'm learning. And all of a sudden, I'm not just sitting back and learning, I'm not just sitting back and praying, but I'm throwing myself forcefully into my Torah study, into my prayers, in order that I shouldn't hear the noise in my head which means that the struggles and anxieties actually is the dam that causes the building of the current and forces me not just to be in cruise control Torah study or cruise control lip service prayer, but to get out of cruise control and to accelerate into my Torah study, into my prayer, making sure that I'm not distracted by any thoughts. That is the ark within each and every one of us. And when we enter into that ark, that is how, and we make sure that that ark is airtight, all of a sudden, all our struggles, not only don't they drown our spirituality, they actually raise up our spirituality to unprecedented heights, so that when I leave the ark, it's a whole new world. All my mundane and physical actions are imbued and driven by my spirituality and my oneness and love for God. People, make it a wonderful day.